how he worshiped the ground she walked and when he looked in her eyes he became obsessed my love is like a storybook story but it's as real as the Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Oscar Watch Podcast, the podcast where we look back at past Best Picture winners for your reconsideration. It is inconceivable! But yes, I am your host, Stephen Buja, and joining me, as always, Amy Thomason. Amy, hello! It's a special uh, it's a special episode. It's kind of a, it's a bit of a sad episode. It is. Uh, but how are you doing? How are you fare this fine day? Doing well, um, getting ready to hopefully eat lots of canned cranberry sauce, because if you eat natural cranberry sauce, you're a traitor to your country, because it's meant to come out of a can. I just had to get get political there for a minute, but that's where I stand on cranberry sauce. All right. She has taken her flag. She has driven it into the cranberry hill. And she's and we're and we're and we're dying there. I am I I am I am anti cranberry. Actually, I don't like the cranberry sauce from either. I'm sorry. I know that makes me maybe kind of weird, but uh, I, I no, you're just wrong. I'm just That's wrong. It's it, it's not it's not an opinion matter. There's just right and wrong. All right, you know. That's fair. That's fair. That's I am. You probably also don't like pumpkin pie. No, I love. I know. I love pumpkin pie. I I am a fiend for pumpkin pie. My uh, my mother makes great pumpkin pie. But that. All right, we can talk about our Thanksgiving, our upcoming Thanksgiving. But it is a. uh, It is with sadness and with uh, a lot of pleasure as well that we are here to talk about this week's movie, The Princess Bride. This is a film that I uh, was looking forward to discussing, and we had to move it up on the schedule a little bit because. The uh, writer, Mr. William Goldman, Academy Award winner, recently passed away, and there are any number of movies we could have talked about. Like, we could have talked about Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Great film. I believe he won the Academy Award for that one, and that's fine, and I love I love Butch, but... No, or it's, All the President's Men. Or All the President's Men. 1976. Oh my god. Again. Such a great year. Or Marathon Man. Or it just even even like a film like The Ghost in the Darkness, I like I enjoy that. That's that's it's a fine movie. Uh, he's done he's done Misery. Sorry, Misery. Just oh, oh my God, just uh, it's just just so much. Just and yes, I've read the book on that one. So yay. Yes, but when it comes to a movie about William, movie from William Goldman, I remember that. Wait, this is my podcast. I can talk about whatever movie I want. So we picked. Sadly, this is true. <laughs> We picked The Princess Bride, the film from 1987, which was requested for this December by former guest co-host Ryan Hartz, who put in a lot of requests, mind you. And But this is why we love him. He's but this guest is... host and beloved friend of mm-hmm. one Machine Intelligence. Yes, and, uh, and a great fan. And so, obviously, we had to get Brian on board with this one. So, Brian... How are you doing today? Hello. My name is Brian Hartz. I'm on your podcast. Prepare to talk. <laughs> yes. And we're this is uh, why we love you. This is why we, and we're so glad we're so glad to have you. What's going on? What's new? Preparing for Thanksgiving, just like uh, just like you. Uh, you know, uh, daughter's off school, so uh, she's uh, She's hanging out, playing with her Legos uh, next door, and uh, you know we are preparing uh, multitudinous side dishes uh, for our visit with Momka's family. So, 
that's that's where things stand now. And yes, I was uh, I was very sad to learn of the uh, the passing of Mr. Goldman. Uh, honored that he would ask me to uh, to join you in Stan Lee in the same week. Yeah, rough. I mean, it's yeah, been a rough. a favorites of Brian artists, two biggies, and and you know not just me, but like a, a sizable chunk yes. of the country whose oh, childhoods no, were significantly defined by the works of these two men. Yeah, definitely, it's a sad day, and we hope to. I mean, we. Can't honor Stan Lee right now, but we hope to honor William Goldman as best we can. Talking about a although there is kind of a weird, uh, weird connection there. I don't know if you saw the uh, little trailer promo online spot for Deadpool that features Deadpool talking to Fred Savage in a replica of the set from his bedroom from The Princess Bride. Oh, I missed that. There we go. It's it's very it's very Deadpool. That's, That's all I'll say about that. Lovely, lovely. So, so, The Princess Bride, beloved movie amongst our generation, I think. Uh, one of the, one of those films that was not that successful when it first came out in 1987, but has since gained a massive, uh, I don't even want to say cult following. It's more like, it's more, it's, it's weirder if you don't like The Princess Bride, I think, than if you do. Uh, it's just, it, it's, it's seeped into the, the, popular consciousness you have inconceivable you have indigo's line you have all these great things that are just a part of the uh just part of our repertoire of words and conversations these days but to uh, to bring it back to to us uh amy what is your history with the princess bride um i'm gonna be the odd man out here sort of like when we did the 2001 space odyssey where i before watching it again, I think I'd actually only seen the movie once. Oh, okay. Wow. And it was a long time ago, and I didn't dislike it, but it didn't have a strong impact on me. But I remember going to Indiana University, and I met my dear friend, Miss Adriana Busick, who Brian also knows very well. Hi, and man. she loved this movie. She loved okay. all the romance. That was her thing. And... So I don't know if I, because I'd seen it in pieces, but it just never struck me. I did not like it, but when people, when I found out that people were like obsessed with it, I was like, really? Huh. Okay. That's kind of where I'm coming from. I, I'm glad to have your, your opinion on here. You sort of, because I think, Brian, if, am I right in saying that we're kind of like, we're in this, we're, we're big fans of this, maybe lifelong fans? Uh, well, I mean, much of my life as it's been around it came out when i was around 10 but yeah and um like uh like a lot of others i discovered it on home video i mean it didn't really find its following until home video i hadn't even heard of it but my aunt Susie had hbo when i was a kid Ooh. we didn't have, have cable in our neighborhood and so she would tape things off of hbo and just bring us cassettes full of stuff um and uh you know we'd pop that in and um you know, I'd never heard of it before, but you know, instantly fell in love with it. You know, and, and you've always sister- been a sucker for the sword fighting. Well, of course, you of course. love a good sword fight. Yeah, um, you know the the funny thing is, uh, and I'll get, I'll get to that later. I, I do have a fair amount of experience with uh, sword fighting, um, but you know, I just since nobody ever else ever talked about it, I just thought kind of thought it was our thing. And my sister and I would watch that all the time on that cassette. And then then I got to college. And realized that there were, I was surrounded by people who were all my age, who all had seen this, who all adored it. 
Um, so, you know, then I, I felt validated. And of course, now every, everyone universally acknowledges it as a classic. In fact, I saw Mandy Patinkin at IU. He came to do a show at what? the IU Auditorium. Yeah, no kidding. Was this? Uh, probably this is when we were, were in school. Sophomores. You remember the, like, the IU Auditorium closed for a little while for renovation? Yes. This was the last show they did before they closed for renovation. And he was doing a one-man show. He was doing all these songs and things. Uh, but at the very end, like the, the guy who ran the auditorium <laughs> came out. Um, I'm not sure where you were. Uh, this was what year? Uh, probably 99 or 2000. But the guy who ran the auditorium came out uh, to you know say thank you to him right at the end of the show. And Mandy says, wait. Every time I visit a college campus, there's one thing I have to do. And he goes out in the middle of the stage, and he crouches down into on guard position. He says, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Everybody who was under 30 in that auditorium went nuts. And you see, like, the, the old people who are like board, you know, trustee members, you know, just scratching their heads like, I just, what? I just came here for him singing the funny Broadway song, right? So yep. that, that was, that was a, a very special experience. And I think it speaks to the fact that it's very much a film that defined our generation. Well, it's funny because Zach, my husband, who's seven years younger than I am, didn't know who like Mandy Patinkin was. And I know him from all of his theater stuff. I'm like, uh, hello. He was Che and Evita, like Secret Garden and Yentl. I got into that all, all the other way around. It's like, oh, wait, you meet Inigo from the mm. Princess Bride? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, same, uh, same here. I, it, seeing seeing Mandy Patinkin as not Inigo was a very distressing period. I'm like, oh, this is a very different man. He sounds different. What is what is going? On? And I understand that's that's what acting is. But I was <laughs> my uh, I I think we had a v, an old VHS copy. We may have actually had bought bought the VHS when they were like still selling it. They were super expensive, but you know we would watch this movie all the time. This is uh, to me. This remains one of my sick day movies. If I am like down with the flu and I don't have anything else to do. This is before like a kid and whatnot. I'm like, I'm going to watch Princess Bride because it makes me feel good. And I uh, have, it's, I see it, see it often. I, you know, it's one of those things that you just, I don't have to think about watching. I'm like, ah, it's like what I feel like doing. I'm just going to watch Princess Bride. And it's, and it's great. And it's lovely. And it feels, it uh, reminds me of childhood, reminds me of, happiness and, and and good times and plus the sword fighting is amazing and like i definitely felt i was like oh my god this is so great and i just love this movie for this because never seen anything like that at the time like even the like the, the fights in star wars feel just completely bland next to well the stuff the stuff here and it's um it's been a lifelong i've been a lifelong fan of this and uh yeah i think i think in college i think in college is like where you find your people and yeah. i found oh, yeah. a, <laughs> yeah and i found and i found I, I found some people who really enjoyed the princess bride and then you go online and then like everybody's talking about the princess bride and it's almost it almost it it almost kind of ru- it, it's it feels like it ruins the magic just like ever so slightly you go but man i really like that movie why does everybody else gotta like the movie but then you grow up and go you know what i'm glad everybody gets to enjoy no, this but if you were like i was i was always very possessive about things that i really truly loved that i considered the mine and i remember there's this girl that i'm not because she's not listening to the show but <laughs> i grew up with her i'd known her since like kindergarten and i never really liked her and i love the thornbirds brian you know this it's like my soul and i love it love it love it and i remember her being like oh the thornbirds oh my gosh i really like that book and i wanted to cry i was like oh 
it's not yours it's <laughs> mine how dare you read this book that i love that's awful Ugh. and it really pissed me off which is stupid but that's just how i am with things that i love yeah it's i think that's a very human reaction i i i have been i've been against against things that other people are talking about because it's not my thing i'm like i like people were like a weird weird example i I always seem to remember people were really high on okay computer back when it was first released i'm like fuck radiohead like screw you like like the album isn't even out yet and you're praising it as the best thing like screw you now it's like it is like this is actually a good album but i'm like i am not only defensive of my shitty taste and things but i'm like no you can't you can't enjoy things either it's uh uh really weird but this is this is always one of the ones that i just like i love this movie so much and you don't understand it the way i do but yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> only i could see it. but then when you find someone who really does love it the way that you do it's oh. like instant connection like the thornbirds my friend jamie that was like oh, i love it's, you and she's still one of my dearest friends there you go there you go one of my one of my other friends in college uh who actually saw this mandy patinkin concert with me uh, there's another story about that about about him, but uh, he and I both knew it so well that we could like fire off the battle of wits between Vizzini wow. and Wow, like verbatim, it was fun. I'm completely nerdy. not shocked by this. Let me tell you how not surprised I am. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Well, I don't like it going. Yeah. Well, we're gushing <laughs> a lot about uh, the Princess Bride, but the world back in 1987 was a very different place, and they were not so big on the princess bride at the time but it did manage to sneak in at least one oscar nomination at that year's award so we're going to take a quick break and discuss that when we come back so stick around but i do want to talk about another movie the princess bride which i I don't know if you're aware of this but on monday it's the 30th anniversary of that film being and that's a big favorite for a lot of people in fact, my brother named his son after Wesley, the character, the lead character oh, that Carrie always played. Named him Andre the Giant's on. No, his but he should have named him Andre the Giant. That would have been a great name for a kid. Hi, I'm Andre the Giant Kimmel. <laughs> what was Andre like? I mean, we I, you, we de- we touched on this once when you were yeah, here when before. I was here Ten years ago. I heard that, and tell me if this is true. That you, when you first met him, you ran in fear. Yes. That's true. Yes. Really. The largest human being on the earth was in front of me. Yes, I was petrified. And you're just like, I got to get out of here. What do you do with that? How did he react? The sweetest was the sweetest, sweetest. You found that out when you came back later? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And how did he kind of express that sweetness with you? We were freezing cold in the middle of this forest, riding horses in the rain. And I didn't have an overcoat for some reason. And he just came over. He's always hot. Oh, like in a tank top when we'd be He's in big guy, you know, yeah. Nordic wear. And he just put his hand on my head and his fingers came down to here and warmed my head with his hand. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's like a mice and men. Literally. <laughs> You're lucky you got out of that alive. That is something else. You know, they're working on a documentary about uh, Andre the Giant for HBO. Yeah, I just did they contact did a you piece. about Yeah, we just did a piece. Oh, you did? It. Oh, great. Oh, that's going to be something. Well, it's very, very good to see you, and thank you so much for the night. We have previously discussed the 60th Annual Academy Awards with former co-host Matthew Marchetti, which means, of course, that we get to open up the field to our current hosts right now. The big winner that year 
was The Last Emperor, the Bernardo Bertolucci film, which I believe one of you thoroughly enjoys. Which one would that be? That would be me. That would be no, you. I, I, I adore The Last Emperor. It's, a, it's just an utterly gorgeous film from start to finish. It is. I recall, going going through my notes and listening, is that I really, I respect the hell out of this movie, and I see why it won Best Picture, because it, it checks all the boxes. However, it's when you look at the year that 1987 was, you go, I've never heard of this movie. I have heard of literally every other movie that has ever been released in 1987, what is going on there? Uh, so it's uh, go back and go back and check that out. We are going to be coming back to 1987 on a number of occasions. For instance, have to talk about Fatal Attraction. That's a great movie. Got to talk about Moonstruck. Uh, a- Amy, you describe it as a perfect movie. Not to spoil start, anything. Start to finish. And it's it's kind of Every, hard. It's one there, of those. There's your podcast where, on Moonstruck, everybody. Where Boom. side where side characters who have one conversation are like amazing and brilliant. It's a. Uh, I think it was. And a, what, it's by the guy who wrote Doubt, which is another movie on yeah. Thomas. Uh, John Patrick Shan- Shanley, I believe. Yes. yes. Just a phenomenally written film, and just so just so many other things, and just just to give you a hint of the non-Oscar movies that were coming out: The Running Man. No Way Out, Lethal Weapon, Robocop, Lost Boys, Near Dark, Nightmare on Elm Street, Bride, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Good Morning Vietnam, Full Metal Jacket, Mannequin, Adventures in Babysitting, Empire of the Sun. I remember that being a really big movie, and that song from the movie was on the radio all. Oh yeah, it was. That was. I think that was nominated for uh, for was, best song. When I saw that. I was like, okay, so it was between the song from Dirty Dancing and Mannequin, both of which were on the radio every five seconds. Yes, but uh, yes, uh, the song from Dirty Dancing, I've had the time of my life, would win best original song at this year at the academy awards shutting out storybook love from the princess bride the film's only academy award nomination i can't argue with that i love storybook love in a like a like a cheesy way but i've had the time of my life is it's really iconic uh, uh Pop culture. It's, it, yeah, if it's you part have of our not pop. Seen Dirty Dancing. You know, nobody puts baby in a corner. You know the lifts. The li- yeah, and you know that song. <laughs> yeah, I never. I, I hadn't seen Dirty Dancing until a couple of years ago. So, and it was always one of those like, ah, it's just a dancing movie with a song, right? And my wife said, no, you have to watch Dirty Dancing because it's a film. And I'm like, it's not a film. And I watch it like. This, this isn't a what? I thought this was supposed to be fun. It's it's uh, what's her face and Patrick Swayze and they're just dancing. Yeah, they're having okay. a time. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, this there's there are things happen. This is a very serious movie. My God, and it's uh, I uh, I'm, I'm sorry I'm sorry for doubting you, botched, Dirty Dancing. Botched abortions, you know. You know, just you know, just like fun fun to lighthearted comedy about dancing and kids in the Catskills okay. or whatever. Yes, I, I might have to watch it now. I've, I've never seen it myself. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I, I like Steve. I just I, I'm not, that schlocky I, movie with the, with I've the dancing. Seen the one, I'm not one of those. I love it and think it's the greatest movie ever. But I have seen it a lot. Oh no, the issue of abortion is what gets the entire movie going. Yeah, it's okay. If someone needs an abortion, that's mayhem. Uh, yeah, <laughs> mayhem. It's so cool. <laughs> and it's got uh, it's got Jerry Orbach in it. You're like, oh my god! It's like, and it's... who cannot love 
Gary Orbach. I mean, come on. Yeah. But, uh, Amy, I believe also this year there was a special Irving G. Thalberg Award for your your man, your boy. Sighing, everybody. Mr. Billy Wilder. Oh. Yes. Uh, arguably one of the most, uh, the greatest directors, and write, writer and directors in Hollywood. Arguably, all right, the, the best, Billy Wilder. Not even yes. Won a, won a bunch, memorialized. <laughs> uh, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a very solid year. And I, looking at all of this list and considering what, uh, the box office that the Princess Bride did and how it didn't really find its audience. It's under it's understandable to go like of course it wasn't nominated. It's just like it didn't it didn't it was one of those one of those odd films that just like it comes alive on VHS. Like you need to have it at your home. You'd be able to like watch it over and over and over again to really I think really really start Which to fall in love with it. Which both of you did. Which so we totally cool. did. They they just didn't know how to market the film. You know, they did is it is it a romance? Is it a fantasy? Is it a comedy? They they just they just botched the marketing campaign so nobody went to see it in the movie theaters and then people started discovering it on VHS. So by the time the Academy Awards rolled around, it wasn't really on anybody's radar screen, which is a damn shame. But that's the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah. It's not it's not like there weren't plenty of other worthy films that year, but I think there were one or two awards that uh, Princess Bride ought to have at least deserved consideration for, if not walked away with. But we'll talk about that. Yes, well, yes, we'll talk about that at the at the end of the show. But that's that's what happens. It's always it's fa- it's fun doing this show, especially with with you guys, and looking back on the years and seeing like, oh, the Last Emperor won Best Picture, and like, uh, yeah, I get that, but has it stood up over the thirty years that has been out? Like, no, there have been films that have got gained far more, uh, like. Moonstruck Pop- and Fatal Attraction. Yeah, those are those are top. Like Fatal Attraction is a great goddamn movie. I'm like, this is oh. it's like it's like terrifying and amazing and kind of kind of sexy. You're like, it's oh one my God. of the it's one of the last years that I feel, and I had a conversation with one of my friends about this, where they really used to make movies for grownups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, there was a little movie a couple years later called Batman that changed the equation, and mm-hmm. now. And for the worst, because there really used to be everything so marketed at teenage boys. Can we kind of admit that? And yep. they don't make movies for grownups anymore. Like a 15 year old is not going to see, or like you're, it's not going to see Moonstruck. Moonstruck is oh. for grownups. <laughs> yeah. Furthermore, they're, they, they're making the movies for 15 year old boys in China. You know, and, you know, and Fatal Attraction is a movie for grownups. It's not. There's sex in it, but it's not so graphic that it's supposed to just be titillating to young men. You know what I mean? And I think that's really sad. And every time I watch Fatal Attraction in Moonstruck, I thought it's sad that they don't make movies for grownups anymore. Yeah. Or 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 when they do, they, those films get shuttled into oh, that's just the Oscar bait category. Right. It's like it's, it's like, like oh, this movie's trying to like this is the this is the best picture winner. I want the best popular film winner over here and that's it's oh, it's yeah, a bunch of it's a, a, it's a bunch of crap but like yeah but even a film like broadcast news that screenplay is on fire that is well, it well Zilla yeah it's, James Zilla, it's a it's incredibly well written it's like oh my it's god it's hilarious it's, but also it's for grown-ups yeah also also for grown-ups. yeah it's like it's, you know what it's, i mean like yeah like 18 year olds aren't gonna go out and see that and and you have an actress like holly hunter who's attractive but she's not like hot 
she's not showing off. She's wearing like turtlenecks and 80s suits. She's not yeah. wearing sexy clothes and seducing yeah. people. It's it's all a battle of the wits. Yeah, it's we a, had uh, a mannequin for that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, we did. Yes, we did indeed. And uh, well, we can talk about it. 1987 till the cows come home because, again, very good year. We discussed it before. We will discuss it in the future, but we're not here to discuss that. We are here to discuss the Princess Bride, and we're going to do that right after this. Good heavens. Are you still trying to win? You've got an overdeveloped sense of vengeance. It's going to get you into trouble someday. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Princess Bride was directed by Rob Reiner, screenplay by William Goldman, based on his own book, which we'll discuss. Stars Carrie Elways, Mandy Patinkin, Christopher Sarandon, Christopher Guest, Wallace Shawn, Andre the Giant, Robin Wright, not Robin Wright Penn, Peter Falk, Fred Savage, and Billy Crystal, and Carol Kane. Uh, I don't necessarily need that, uh, that cast list. You know all of that, but I just wanted to make sure I got all of those names correctly. I've seen this movie so many times. Not the to f- mention Mel Smith and Peter Cook. And Mel Smith and Peter Cook as the uh, clergyman. The impressive clergyman. The impressive clergyman. Now, I believe, Ryan, you have read the book. So we always have to ask, how does the book differentiate from the movie? And how does it stand up as an adaptation of the book? I read the book after I'd seen the movie probably 30 or 40 times. And the shocking thing is how incredibly faithful the movie is to the book. I mean, William Goldman adapted his own book. Um, and uh, what's different is really sort of the packaging around the story. Uh, William Goldman in the book invents this framing device where he himself, as William Goldman, or a fictional version of himself, <laughs> is hunting down this old book he remembered from his childhood by S. Morgenstern. Spoiler alert, there never was an S. Morgenstern. <laughs> I thought there was for years after seeing the, this movie originally. I, I hunted for that book. <laughs> this was before the internet had easy access to everything. Um, 
but in any case, uh, he, so he invents this whole fictional framework, or he uh, st- finds a copy of this old beloved book from childhood and realizes that his father had been cutting out all the boring parts because there are a lot of boring parts. So he has all this snar- this snarky commentary about how, well, you know, S. Morgenstern gets into these Florinese politics for a while. I'm just going to skip that and get to the interesting part. <laughs> and totally reframes that in the movie so in, in, in an arguably even more effective way with the framing device of the grandfather and Fred Savage. Because it's something that is a little snarky and a bit uh, a bit uh, sort of cynical, uh, much more in the vein of the guy who wrote you know Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, um, becomes this, this heartwarming uh, interplay between the boy and his grandfather. Still, though, playing around with the idea of well, we're just going to just skip parts here and there and play around with the the conventions of storytelling and interact with the story. Um, but other than that, I mean. Almost everything is is like right out of the book. I think okay. you know, one of the only differences is like instead of the pit of despair, he had something called the zoo of death, where Wesley had to fight a whole bunch of different animals, and probably for budget purposes, they they reframed that to the pit of despair. Yeah, I, that would be fun. But okay, all right, all right. Uh, let's oh, see. It, it totally works in the film. Totally, totally. Yeah, works. it really. I I I just love that. From an ad- adaptive standpoint, just one of the best that there's ever been. Okay, I you know I have not read the book, like I like I have the book somewhere in this this, this mess, and I haven't read it because I don't want to ruin the movie. I, I suppose, and, then, and that's weird because I'm like it's based on the book, but I did so I wasn't, I never did the research as to like how much of an adaptation this is, and it's very faithful. I'm like I have to check this out now. Also, a Zoo of Death that that hooks me right there. <laughs> I I wanna I I don't want to visit there. I kind of want to like see it from afar, but that sounds like. It could be fun. It could be fun. It, you know, this it, is it, why you get so... co-hosts to read the books and tell you that they're good at. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's so many lines in the movie that are verbatim from the book. It's amazing, <sighs> especially considering how good a lot of those actors were at improvising. Yeah. Uh, and, and, so you know, it's it's really quite faithful. And considering how good the lines are, indeed. All right. So uh, the kid is the young Fred Savage from the Wonder Years. Who? Oh, um, uh, yeah. No, it's cutest is he the cutest kid i don't i don't know we've seen we have a lot we've seen a lot of cute kids on the show like no, in all the italian he movies is, he is because he's not trying to play cute he seems like a real kid yeah he's kind of he's he kind of happens to be he's not trying to be precious he really seems like grandpa he's gonna pinch my cheek is this a kissing book you're like oh i know i like you're a bratty kid no why i don't know why but i find that so charming just a kissing book. I can, I've, I, I think I've used that lines when somebody's given me a, a book before. I've used, I've used so many of these lines from the movie. Oh, yeah. Like they give me a book. I'm like, so is this a shocked. kissing book? And then just roll their eyes. And... <laughs> I'm shocked to know that yeah. you. Shocked. <laughs> yeah, but uh, and the grandfather is uh, the great Peter Falk, uh, Columbo, who uh, I feel like he's playing kind of somewhat playing against type, but. Like I'd never, I'd never seen Columbo until like an episode of Columbo until after this. So to me, it's hey, it's the grandfather from the Princess Bride. This is really yeah. like all I've seen him in, Woman of the oh. Influence, and uh, you know, and stuff. But also hilarious and murdered by death. I don't think I ever saw that movie. Oh my god! If you if you love the movie Clue, check out Murdered by Death uh, by uh, Neil Simon. Uh, oh. oh, murder mystery oh, comedy. Featuring like parodies of all the famous murder mystery sleuths. It's hilarious. Check it out. Okay. Man, I right, like Neil Simon this year too. This year sucks. It's been a it's been a, it's been a 
a rough year. It's been a rough year for a lot of things. Okay, but so the he the grandfather the grandfather is here to tell a uh, a story to his sick grandson, and the son doesn't want to do it. He would rather just sit and sit around and mindlessly play uh, NES baseball, which I can which I can relate to. But we get the story going, and it's it, it what's what's great is that the framing story actually evolved. The characters evolve there as well, so it's not just hey, we're, I'm here to tell a story and then we leave. But like they develop a deeper bond and the kid gets into it and i i i really like the framing story that the the framing story from the book itself sounds great but this this just really works on a more appealing for a movie. yeah for yeah, a movie an elemental level and they waste no time setting it up too it just works so well you think that you see a whole lot of setup with fred savage and uh, and, and peter falk with that they're on screen for like five He's minutes before you're into the story and uh, and they just launch in and it works. It's just so tight as a screenplay that like within those few minutes, you know exactly who these characters are and where they're going with this, mm-hmm. and yeah. you're invested in them already. It's so good, so good. It's it's, it's so good. He tells the story of uh, Buttercup. Great and I name. love that her name is Buttercup. Can we just stop? Because when you're a little girl, those are the like magical names. Buttercup. It like totally brought out the like eight year old me. It's like her name was Buttercup. Which is interesting because the origin of the Princess Bride story, even before the book, was stories that William Goldman told to his own daughters. He had two daughters. He asked them, what kind of story would you like me to tell uh, tell you? One said, tell me a story about a princess. One said, tell me a story about a bride. Boom. There you go. The the Princess Bride. (laughs) And and, and thence came Buttercup. Yeah. And again, it's just, it's so all little girls. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a story of Butter, Buttercup and Wesley. Who, uh, this is this is what honestly I've seen this movie so many times and I never quite picked up on this. But like, is this are we are we actually in love here, or is it because we are literally the only two people around, and also we are both insanely attractive? Carrie always, I gotta say, he's, he's, he's just the man he's, so, he's so pretty. Robin Robin Wright is very pretty, but like. I think Carrie always is like no, her equal. Yeah, he's yes. obnoxiously, Especially obnoxiously pretty. A swashbuckler. I mean, that's. I no I will ha- I will admit I have dressed up as Wesley before for Halloween. It's a, it's, it's a very easy costume. I got the yeah, I got a cheap sword. Very comfortable. Very comfortable. And the mask, terribly comfortable. And I do think everybody should be wearing them in a couple of years. Honestly, uh, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> but. The relationship, it's like she enjoyed two things, riding her horse and torturing her far, the farm boy. So it made me go, what is she, like, what kind of farm is this? What is, what is she doing all day? And there are these little things. Having seen a movie so many times, you start to gloss over all of these little things that don't quite make sense. It's like the same with Dead Poet Society. Like, yeah, but why? with this movie, it doesn't matter, though. But with this movie, it's kind of supposed to be over the top and a little ridiculous yeah. at parts. That's why it works. Dead Poet Society, I already went through. Go yeah, listen right. home. Go listen to our podcast. I point out all the holes. Definitely. And in those, it's more annoying. But in this, it's more like it's supposed to be, oh, and when he said this, it meant I love, love you, you. Because it's it's supposed to be that sappy, over-the-top. And when you're little and you're just being introduced to those things, it works on a basic level. Yeah. But when you're older, you can kind of see more of the humor in it. Absolutely. I mean, and that's the thing. It's It's like... This is a fairy tale. What kind of farm is it? Where are her parents? It doesn't matter. It's a fairy tale. 
and know? she's a commoner though, but she's also a commoner. And like I said, yeah. the, the fact that her name is Buttercup is just yes, yeah. right. She's silly. She's a, she's a commoner, but she's also Robin Wright. I mean, in One the, the book, there's more women. about her background and everything, but this just burns everything in a way that's unnecessary. It's like, let's get to the story. Right. And the story is she, they I fall, they fall. love again. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like she's so dramatic, just sitting in her, sitting in her chair, just pouting. I'm like, which, which I know, which you, that is an excellent point you make. Like, it doesn't matter. But I, just, I still think, who's running the farm now? He was the, <laughs> he was the farm boy. It sounded like he was doing most of the work and you're just like locking yourself away for days on end. I don't. Like I feel like some crops are over overgrown, or the animals have run away. I don't I don't know what happened, but uh, and he gets captured. He gets uh, captured by pirates, which is cool, uh, as we know. And then she uh, years later, she is engaged to Chris Sarandon, who you we see, last saw on Dog Day Afternoon. Who we last saw on, saw on Dog Day Afternoon, but who again, like all of the people here, I know them from this movie. So whenever I see Chris Sarandon, I'm like, oh, it's Humperdinck. I can't not see him as Humberdick. I think he was on. Yep. He, he was on. A, he was in Felicity, which I saw. Which is a, it's a fine show. I'm like oh, Humberdick. Oh, you're being a jerk. Oh, but you're so good at being a jerk, aren't you? You're this little smooth, smug. He's bastard. also the speaking voice of Jack Skellington in Nightmare Before Christmas. That's just what I was thinking. No. Yes. No. Yes. No, I didn't know that. I did not know that. Oh. Oh. Oh, my brain hurts. My brain hurts. <laughs> What I so yeah, and the plot the plot kicks in, and we have we have all this all this great stuff and the voiceover and everything. Fencing, fighting, torture, true love. It's 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 just the best. But you know what makes the what makes the film work? It has it has the great lines. It's what we always say. It has characters you love hanging around with. Even the even Humperdinck, who's a jerk and a, a conniving bastard. Even even I'm like I would like I just like watch I like watching him. There's this there's this one little moment where his uh, the, the 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 master of the guard comes in and like puts his arm on Humperdinck's chair. Humperdinck just like looks at him and he moves like there are these just little moments yep. of characterization that are just so perfect and just endearing that you just you just want to spend all all your time with these people in this fun little quasi European world that they they have one created. Of- one of the things that I really like is in the direction is you can see how much Rob Reiner, who's such, I think he's a totally underrated director. He's directed like a million classics. Yet again, you, when you think of great directors, you don't think, Oh, Rob Reiner. Right. When people bring him up, you're like, Oh yeah, he did this. Yeah. He did final, final tap. tap. Like classic. When Harry met La- Sally. Yeah. yeah. Stand by a me. I think was men, Rob Reiner. A few yeah. good men. Oh I mean, classic iconic films and this week when golden died reiner tweeted out that this was his favorite book and it was a book that he just absolutely loved so what an honor it was for him to get to do that and i think you see that in the film because they all look like they are having the best time oh yeah Yeah. the best time the this is a it's it's a master class in comic acting and all, a lot of that comes down to the fact that Rob Reiner created an environment where they could shine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And they, they all get along and it helps to have such a, a screenplay with such wit and quotability in this. This is, this is, uh, I quote this movie inadvertently 
all the time. I think. I think we all. I mean, we've all said inconceivable at one point. We've all said somebody that word did that <laughs> say as you wish. We all say that word you keep using. I do not think it means what you think it means. And I <laughs> just it's. Uh, so anybody yeah, want a peanut? <laughs> yes, the rhyming scene. So well, so and we, he took he took all these actors that again are such strange people like Andre the Giant. Is that who the last yeah, that yeah, that's, that's cool. Andre the Giant and Wallace Shawn? Like Wallace yeah. Shawn, of course. Right. Wallace Shawn. Right. You know what I, like they're all so he found these misfits almost and yes. found a way to let them all shine. Yeah, everybody's everybody's got their moments. The uh the the are uh, Vicini, Inigo, and Fezzik. Uh, I you know as they get to, they 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 have their own plots and whatnot. But the main plot is is obviously uh you know Wesley and 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 Buttercup, and that's and that's great, and that's and that's fun. But I I lo- I love these three characters because because it's like uh it's like of it's in of mice and men situation where you got like the short smart guy and the big dumb guy and this this other dude who's thrown in just for just to just to mix it up com- comedically and they just ha- they have such a great rapport the the rhyming and just how like Vicini like i think he, he doesn't like him but he does like him and they all just like they have this slight camaraderie like even after Vicini has died Inigo is still kind of loyal to him if he goes back to the thieves' bars because that's where the beginning is. Where I got the job, so this is the beginning. Uh, um, I, and their their banter, just the banter back and forth. We, you know, we're here to honor William Goldman. He wrote an amazing screenplay. It's we're we're, uh, we're all these lines basically verbatim from the from the book. Like many of them were. I was shocked at how many t- you know lines I found when I was reading the book. I'm like, oh my god, that, that's made a straight in the movie how many times does that even happen i love that <laughs> yeah. i love where it seems like they have a copy of the book next to them while they're typing the screenplay oh yeah <clears throat> yeah larry mcmurtry also adapts his things very very well mm-hmm. well that's the yes yes indeed. i mean i could i could just imagine when goldman going through the book is like oh that was such a good line i gotta put that in <laughs> yeah it's like I'm supposed to cut out. You're supposed to cut out the things you really like, but they're all so good. So it's and the it, bit, the bit with the poison, I think, was one of my favorites. Yes, the, the battle of wits. Uh, reference in a and lot of things. And then he's like, "Hey, guess what? I have an immunity to it." They were both right. Yeah, which is, I like. Which I don't so know. Funny. I don't know if that's actually a thing, but it's it works so well in the world. Like, yes, of course it's you could just cherry on top of the scene. Yeah, it's like he. All right, he's he's Wesley. He's he no, yeah. He could have just outsmarted him. All right, or he could have just like mean? like done something like just stabbed him or some some other thing that they would probably do now. They just he'd he'd use brute force to get through this. But you know, he's well, already he's already used he's already used the brute but, force. You know, it's it's uh, you know another example of playing with you know fairy tale tropes and just good storytelling tropes. Things happen in threes in stories, and so mm-hmm. he bests the the Spaniard with his superior you know fighting ability. He bests. Uh, you know the giant with his strength, and he bests the genius with his own cleverness. You know? Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's a classical Greek. T- you know, it's an yeah. Odyssey. You have to like you you're you fight specific things that are meant to uh, right. represent like certain aspects mm-hmm. of the of the human nature to, to show your mastery over them, and that's how you can get the girl. And, that's and, right. Yeah, and then you, yeah, and, but not before passing through the deep dark forest. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's it's. It's like I like to think in you know after the world has gone to turn to ashes, some alien race will find this movie 
preserved somewhere on anybody's shelf and go, this was a great myth in there and these, in this people's culture. And we should, we should, we should venerate that because it holds true to a lot of, a lot of fun, a lot of fun tropes. I do. It's, uh, it's, it's almost like, you know, uh, you know, George Lucas famously, uh, you know, uh, structured Star Wars to parallel the Joseph Campbell monomyth structure. And was very conscious of the, you know, anthropological and and, uh, cultural history of this. William Goldman's done almost exactly the same thing with Princess Bride. Only he makes it look effortless. It, 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 effortless. it makes it look like it's almost accidental, but you know it isn't because he did his homework and knows what good stories are about. Even even if he's not you know one hundred percent invested in the folklore, he knows a good story. He and does. He nails it. Yeah. He gives you just. And it's just hard enough. to believe that he did this and um, all the president's men. It, it just adapting the real world into a, a, a story exactly. a phenomenal and movie amazing but i think if i hadn't known i wouldn't have been like oh yeah clearly he also wrote this other taut political thriller that yeah. is based on fact you know what i mean i wouldn't yeah. i don't know yeah and he sets up he sets up just enough world building to make you want to hang out in florin i florin i assume is like kind of like off, like it's near France or something. I just always, always get this this feeling. It's idyllic and and wonderful. But it, and he he references real places and real people. You know, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, and morons. And you never start a land war in Asia, yes. Greenland. All the that all these line little... really made me laugh. <laughs> but Very the but the never start yeah. a land war in Asia. Yeah. Yep. It's 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 yeah. it's a it's a great line, and I and references Australia weirdly, even though the whole thing appears to be taking place in like the 16th century, and Australia wasn't. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's one of those things that, like, if you were looking at it as like a realistic story, you'd be like, wait, wait, what? I don't. But it's a fairy tale. Who cares? Right. It's a fairy tale. Yeah. Ex- exactly. And and this the same extends to the love story when Wesley gets buttercup but hasn't revealed himself to be wesley yet he i'm like you are being terrible to her but it's like it's another weird little mythical test thing that has to go and Absolutely. and like i i never noticed I it like until like i go half like, a dozen shakespeare comedies do that yeah it's yep. it's like you it's like i'm not gonna tell you who i am you have to like i have to honestly it's it's uh like the merchant of venice when yes. yeah oh yeah guys, and then they can go through all that crap about the rings you know, it's... And then at the end, they're like, JK! Yeah, drawing from old traditions of storytelling and throwing them in effortlessly. Yeah. That's William Goldman. Yeah. And uh, one of my favorite sequences, of course, is the fire swamp, which I have, for a long time, I'm not going to lie, I was convinced this is exactly how quicksand works. You step in and you just fall. It's apparently much slower than that. It's not, it's not super quick, but like, this influenced my like like I'm terrified of quicksand. I'm just gonna fall in and it's like what if nobody's there to cut a vine and jump in after me? I it's 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 great little does it make sense? Probably not, but it makes sense in the world, so it's it's wonderful. The the fire poppers, the R-O-U-S's, which is just which is a great which is a great a great another great line slash comedic moment where they're talking about the ROUSs. And he's like, nah, I don't think they exist. And then it's immediately gets jumped by a dude in a very funny suit, which you can definitely yeah. see. It's like, that's a guy, but I don't care. Cause it's, yeah. it's, 
It's and for... not even the original guy was supposed to do that scene. Apparently that guy was sick, and so it was just like some grip who had to be in the costume. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. You, uh, you know, a funny thing I, funny thing I think I had in the had in my back of my mind but never really processed is that Wesley never actively kills somebody. Like he 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 forces Inigo, he uh, forces um Vicini to uh, like like kill himself in in the battle of wits and he you know stares down Humperdinck at the end but he never he, it's it's just odd nowadays when you have like in the first Iron Man, Iron Man just like blew guys away, he just like just, just, like actively like killed a lot of people. There's yeah. very little violence in here. Uh, Vicini, it, uh, Wesley dies at well, mostly dies at one point, and Count Rugen are the are the only people who die. So it's like two ish, and yeah. it's uh, it's just very different from the like hyper violent films that we we have nowadays. And I'm wondering, like, what that are boring? Yeah, so I'm wondering, where did we? How do we lose something like this, where our, our our heroes can actually not kill anybody and are all the more heroic for it? Those movies, as we talked about on our break, are not designed for adults anymore. They're designed for young boys who get off on quick violence, lots of blood, lots of guts, lots of blowing up. Yeah. Do like we do like that, and it's well. I think I, th- I think also it, it, it's it, the whole thing's gotten culturally confused. I mean, obviously this is channeling you know fairy tale tropes of the chivalric hero who uh, you know is is kind and noble and and will not willingly you know harm someone who doesn't deserve it. You know, uh, Inigo and, and Fezzik are both henchmen of, of the the real bad guy, so they they don't uh, they don't get harmed. Um, no. You know, it's it's the the truly evil people who get their comeuppance, and and that's it. That's the way it works in the old stories. But at some point in the last um, a little while in pop culture, we've confused um, uh, quote unquote gritty and dark with uh, with maturity, and um, I think nothing could be further from the truth um, because this is quite a bit more sophisticated than any number of movies in which uh, you know the hero uh, unceremoniously blows away you know, hordes well, of it, faceless henchmen. It sort of reminds me of Game of Thrones a little bit, which I do enjoy. But come on, a lot of it is torture porn. There's a, it's and it's, very it's for titillation. Yep. It's for titillation, not necessarily just storytelling. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of gross after a while. Still so fascinating, but yeah, it's. I would. Lo- I would. I, w- I would love to see there's, a Game of Thrones done like this. There's the HBO factor of that too, but. Yeah, definitely. Because they do it because they can, and here they—I'm sure they could have done something more, you know, have more blood as opposed to like the only blood we see, I think, is on Wesley's shoulder after he gets mauled by the RUS. Inigo oh, gets stabbed. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. Inigo gets stabbed. But you know what? Speaking of Inigo and Wesley, the sword fight at the top of the Cliffs of Insanity, I. I have to put it up there in the top five greatest sword fights of all time. It's it, not only because it is so well choreographed by the great Bob Anderson, who did uh, Star Wars, who would do. Isn't that a your lot guy, of, Brian? Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, he, he, uh, I mean, he he started out in the fifties as a uh, a double for Errol Flynn and just uh, you know became a legend. Yeah, he taught. He taught. Uh, you know, he taught. Uh, Carrie Elways and Mandy Patinkin, the, the moves, and they practice practice all the time. But what 
what makes that what makes the scene really work is not the fighting because you have a, you, there are a lot of sword fights where it's just like it's grunting and being guys and man and violence and stuff. It's the witty repartee. It's the Absolutely. back and forth between them and the respect that they have for each other. Yeah, you don't and you don't you don't have a lot of respect in there. You have like I need to destroy you. It's like I just need to get by you and I don't want to hurt you, but you're in my way, and that doesn't mean I hate you. It just means that I. You're, you're just in my, you're just in my way, and I just need I, I should I would sooner I'd sooner destroy a stained glass window than a master like you. Again, that sort of chivalric ideal of uh, well, we're we're both gentlemen here, obviously. Yeah. We don't really want to hurt each other. Right. Um, yeah, and, but, cr- uh, and yeah, yeah, and credit to Rob Reiner for letting the actors and the camera do the work of setting the pace of the scene, as opposed to. We're gonna throw this camera around and see what happens. It's like we, yeah. you, you could see that this is Carrie Always, and this is Manny Patinkin doing all the fighting, all the stunt work themselves, with the exception of the somersaults, which I get. Yeah, you want to know? You know, you don't know how you can tell a good movie fight from a bad movie fight. The good movie fights are all done with editing. I mean, sorry, the bad movie, movie fights, fights are all done with editing. The good movie fights are long takes like this. Yeah, it's... Manny Patinkin and Carrie Always. In fact, they, they were practicing so often and got so good at their fight and so fast at it that when they first did it for Rob Reiner, he was like, that was great. It's too short. <laughs> so they expanded the fight. They consciously went and looked for the longest fight in movie history, which up to that point had been Scaramouche uh, from the 50s, which is a great movie. Um, and they were like, okay, we're going to beat that. And they did. Because William Goldman actually wrote in the script, like, this is the greatest sword fight that anyone has ever seen. And so they were like, oh, well, of course, we got to do that. <laughs> and you know what? I, they, they, they hit that. They nail it. It's, it's so much fun to watch. Yeah, I could just watch that just removed from the movie and just feel so happy, so overjoyed. I actually with frequently do that. That's I, uh, I have, I have oh. experience with uh, martial arts and uh, swords uh, myself. You do. Just, just looking at that and, and admiring uh, the, the technique of it is, is just astonishing. It really is. I mean, th- there's a lot of it that's, uh, you know, a lot of basic patterns that are repeated, but they're repeated so quickly and with such style and skill. And, and then while they're delivering just, this. How the hell did they do that? Yeah. While they're delivering that rapid fire. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and fun fact, I mentioned to Steve earlier, every single one of the people like uh, Capoferro and uh, Bonetti and Tybalt, those are all actually authors of, you know, Renaissance sword treatises, because of course they are. Because, because of course. Golden did homework. Why That's... do I feel like you have read some of these sword fighting treatises? Because the I fact have. That <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you're aware that there are such a thing as a classic sword fighting treatise does not surprise me. I mean, I won't, I won't, I won't claim that I'm intimately familiar with any of them. But yes, I've reviewed some of them. Yeah, you know. Now, of course, you know, the treatises themselves have absolutely nothing to do with what they're doing on screen. But it's just right. funny that they're, you know, yeah. they're actually name checking real people. That's that is awesome. Was not aware of that. Okay. Kind of makes you love the movie even more. I, if it if it were possible, if it were possible. But there 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 are some things that make make me love the movie slightly less. And I and I never realized that like this is a, this is a plot hole that I I can't forgive for on account of um of just like of skipping over things. It's uh it it's the, it's the wedding day. 
Fezzik has found Inigo in the in the thieves' forest and is nursing him back to health. And Fezzik tells Inigo all about the existence of the Six Fingered Man, the Man in Black, who is actually engaged to uh, Buttercup's true love. Every basically spelling out the entire movie. And I and I'm just like, there's no way you could know that in in the movie and i i just have like i it's fine i get it but it's it's still it's always bothered me just ever so slightly that they just like and yeah fezzik just explains explains everything just to get everyone caught along and i know understand that it is just to get everyone caught up but it, it feels just so odd it's a it's a it's a shorthand it's a great shorthand it works because william goldman and rob reiner and the actors make it work but it's still just a little bothersome that they just gloss over this like because it gets the entire third act of the film going and they just it, it gets glossed over i was wondering i was wondering do you have, how do you guys feel about that did you ever notice it or do you just, or do you notice it and just go i don't care well, maybe he picked up some scuttlebutt from the other members of the brute squad no uh no but honestly it's not something that's ever bothered having, me before i, I get it movie twice yeah Okay, it's, it's, it's I, mean, it's, I, I I know that you know the, there are a lot of films that make that mistake that characters suddenly have knowledge that uh, they they have no reason to have other than that it moves the plot along. But in this case, fairy tale. I don't mind so what much. Are you gonna do? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a fair, it's a fairy tale. Yeah, it's like yeah, you're, and you know, it works because you're like eh, like I mean I'm in it. I'm like I'm following the plot, but I'm really I just want to know what you guys are going to say next because I love you so much. It get taken, is, like because so much of it works, and because he gives himself a slight out of uh, the fact that uh, we're playing around with this narrative, like like that uh, that the boy is asking questions, like well wait who killed Sumperdink and all this, uh, playing around with our expectations, it, it gives a little bit of wiggle room, uh, you know, for a, a few other things not to add up. Yeah. And no, and I agree with that. I feel like it's supposed to be it's very well plotted out, but it's supposed to be silly and they kind of admit that that's what they're doing. Yeah. So it's like okay, sure, whatever. I because you don't care. But in another movie where it's supposed to be serious and make sense and you're like what? Like I you brought up all the things the Dead Poets Society. That actually pisses me off. That's yeah, like so. what? I think so in summary, in response to your, your query, yes, you're very smart. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I need to be told that uh, very often. So, uh, yeah, the, the shut up part, the shut up part, not the, not the very, sm- uh, very smart part. Um, <laughs> please, yes, please, please, please. I'll file that away for the future. All right, all right. Uh, the great emotional payoff to me is Inigo fights Christopher Guest. Count Rugen, the six-fingered man. Uh, I get, ch- I, I'm thinking about it now, and I'm getting chills up my spine. Just the way Inigo persists, he overcomes getting a knife in his gut, getting stabbed in the shoulders, and the way he says, "Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die." Over and over, and just, the, just, and his final, his final, his final words is, uh, "Offer, offer me money. Yes. Offer me power. Yes." Uh, for me, everything I asked for. It's like all that I have and more. And then he just says, I want my father back, you son of a bitch. I, I just, I love this. I want to be more eloquent and uh, have better words for this. But all I can say is that it is uh, it's cinematic perfection for me. It, No matter how many times I see the film, it still gets me. I think now as a 
dad having uh, i'm like i hope somebody feels that way about like if, if i i hope i hope somebody takes has to take revenge on me if i am killed by some jerk with six fingers so I, it's, talia taking sword fight is going to be getting sword fighting lessons you know we we do have uh, able to avenge your death we do have no, several live action role playing uh groups in the park that are for kids so she probably will uh which I which I'm excited about, but uh, well, look, God, already look God for the one with six fingers. Seriously, William has already told me that he would never hurt me or do anything bad to me or let anything bad happen oh. to me. Because he he's just he's the sweetest child. Your, your kid, your your kids are so so effing adorable. I just they're they're the they're the best. Movie knowledge, my two things. I know a lot about movies, and I give birth to attractive children. Special skills. I should put them on Super a powers. I have to say, uh, indeed, indeed. Those, your 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 kids are your kids are are, are great. Um, has anyone no, ever? That, that, oh, sorry. What what you said made me think of what Mandy Patinkin said about this movie. And uh, he said he when he initially talked to Rob Reiner about the movie, he asked, well, like, what's the what's the center of this of this movie? And 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 he just said, true love. It's every one of these characters pursuing what true love means to them. And so for Inigo, it's 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 his love for his father, for you know Wesley and Buttercup, it's it's their their romance, uh, and for you know the boy and his grandfather. Oh, oh, oh. oh the end, the ending. That makes are... me love you even more, oh. and I already love him. Well, there you are. Well, I'm getting a little emotional. <laughs> yeah, we get get a oh, oh my friend. Yeah. You know, we're all we're all parents now, so you know we can all relate to that that yeah. last moment. Yeah. You know? Uh, a great, a great ending. The, uh, the way he, he turns and smiles, like oh, Peter. Which Fox. is different from the ending. I, I was just, I, I didn't know this until I was watching some of the special features on the brand new Criterion edition of The Princess Bride. <laughs> which, if you don't have it, you should get it. Not yeah, it's for, like the day not it came out. Criterion to this. Oh yes, of course. Uh, <laughs> but the original ending was supposed to be like after the grandfather leaves, uh, like the boy opens up the book again and starts rifling through the pages, and like he sees. Like all four of them on their white horses out their window waving at him. I'm like, boy, am I glad they went with the ending I, they did. Yeah, because it was perfect. Just the, uh, the ending, perfect. Is, yeah, the ending is perfect, and that that feels a bit too much like the ending of Labyrinth. Just where they're all like, all of your friends are okay. here, and like, okay, all right, all right. right. Uh, Brian, have now you? Now we're getting on a movie. Yes, yes. Oh, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about that just for just funsy one day. Brian, uh, just real quickly, have you ever used have you ever used the to the pain? Uh, monologue to destroy somebody before? Like, oh, like... I, I, I wish. I wish. I'll, <laughs> I'll have to keep that in my back pocket. I have, however, officiated a wedding as the impressive clergy. Oh, of course you have. That's that's great. <laughs> the, the, the whole voice oh. of Mowage. Yes. My, 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 one of my good friends requested that I start with that to fake everybody out, and I nearly gave her mother a heart attack. You know, Lisa. <laughs> Lisa. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's her great. mother had not seen the movie. I had no idea what we were doing. I think had I had I gone on a second longer without letting everybody in on the joke, she probably would have risen out of her chair and throttled me. <laughs> All right. That is that <laughs> makes you're you're so endearing. I just oh, I want to hang out. I want to <laughs> hang out with you so much. Uh, so all right, we're we're running out of time, guys. The Princess Bride. Was only nominated for one Academy Award that year. Did not win. Should it have been nominated for more? And if so, what should those have been? Amy, start with you. I'm thinking 
possibly best supporting actor for Manny Patinkin. Manny Patinkin. Okay. Okay. Any any technical awards or we'll just uh No. No. Okay. Okay. Right. I would not put it as a contender for best picture. Would not put it because that was a tough especially and it's going up against movies that I a thousand percent love. No, no, a thousand percent great. great. Tightly written, tightly written, tightly acted, all that stuff. Okay, Ryan. Oh boy, there's a laundry list. <laughs> okay. For, I would put it up for best picture. I'd take out Hope and Glory. I've never seen it, but has anybody? Has have you? No, have no. I, it's a John uh, Borman no. movie, so I mean, I, I, it's I like probably John good. Borman just fine, but uh, you know, I'd, I'd I'd swap that one out it, with the, with the bright light of retrospect. Um, best director. You know, it's it's unfussy direction, but as we've noted, uh, you know, Rob Reiner is is criminally underrated. Um, Best adapted screenplay, and I think it damn well should have won that. Wow, uh, that, that that one went to last 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 Emperor, yeah. But uh, as a screenplay, structurally, it's it's hard to imagine a better uh, film in terms of just screenplay structure, the beautiful dialogue. It's just it's 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 near perfect. I I, I can't think of a single complaint about uh, about the screenplay. I I would have put it up there, and, and damn it, it should have won. Okay. I also think there's a, uh, a case to be made for uh, best art direction and costume design, at least nominated. Probably would still have given both of those to Last Emperor, given you know the the year, uh, and best makeup. Yeah, uh, Billy Crystal and Carol Kane are great. There were there were only two nominees for best makeup that year, so yeah. I don't know why that. Uh, <laughs> that and, yeah, you ended sense. up going to Rick Baker for Harry and the Hendersons, which you know, fine. I guess if uh, Harry and the Hendersons is going to win an Oscar. It, <laughs> and uh, I was thinking about I was thinking about even best supporting for Peter Falk, but uh, I was talking to you guys earlier about how this movie actually makes me wish that there were a category for best ensemble. Yes, because this is one of yes. those yes. movies where it has such a great cast as a whole that it's hard to single out any one individual performance because they're they're all just quality across the board. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If, uh, if, if we can invent other categories, then damn it, I want that one. That yeah. one, I agree with you. Because yeah. I could think of like eight movies right now that would fit that criteria. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nice. I would, I would, yes to, yes to all of that. I would also, like, I own the soundtrack of this movie. I, I love the soundtrack to this movie. So I really want the score to be nominated, not just the song. And I, uh, I understand, like, it may, it's not the it's not the best score I think, but it just it works so well in the movie that I'm like, come on, please. But uh, That's the only complaint I have about this movie, really, only yeah, and it's not the score as written because it it sounds like something that was written for an orchestra, but like they had a very small budget and it, and it sounds like it was just played on a cheap Casio synthesizer. It, and it's Mark Knopfler who's a fantastic musician, uh, you know, but. Oh man, I, I, I every time I see it, I'm like, man, it would be so great if they could just re-record this with an actual orchestra. <laughs> it would sound just brilliant. Yeah, uh, you know, the, the, like the only way you could get away with it is to say, like, maybe it's it's supposed to be like, because like the 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 art design of the film, like it's very clearly all done in sound stages, and I think that's intentional. It's supposed to look like a you know classic Hollywood swashbuckler Errol Flynn type film. You know, everything's hyper real. Uh, and maybe you could get away with the the music in in that sense, 
Uh, but I just that's always bothered me. Maybe it's only personal preference there. No, I, I, I respect there. I can see it, and it's it's one of, it's one of those things. Where I'm like, oh yeah, all right, I see that. But uh, I, I I don't know. I'll probably go play the soundtrack right now because it's it's, lo- it's lovely. And I and this is a movie that it's hard for me to be objective about because I grew up with it. I love it so much. I, I watch it all the time. That I just you start to like even if something's bad you're like I'm just gonna appreciate this for for what it is and for the feelings it the, the feelings it makes me feel because uh, it's as real as these feelings I feel certainly and I oh. uh, <laughs> uh, I would like it hindsight being what it is I think this is one of the most the film one of the films from that year that has endured the most and which is saying something because it's been a heck of a year so yes I would I would nominate this for best picture. In hindsight, but at the time, I, I get why they nominated the films they did. Those are great films, and I get why The Last Emperor won. But I, when I think of 1987, I, I think of I think of this movie, and I, uh, I love it so much, and I am so honored to have both of you here to discuss that today. And I want to thank Brian for coming on, talking about this movie, hitting us with some facts that. <laughs> We did not know. I love that. Love the little trivia you bring here. You you, you come prepared, and I uh, that's great. And Amy, I love hearing your your reactions to the films that maybe we haven't that you haven't seen seen a lot. It's uh, it's great getting you know different like a more a more newbie perspective on on these movies to like sort of check to sort of check our enthusiasm. Be like, oh wait a minute, <laughs> like there there are people who have not seen this movie or haven't seen it as many times as us, and they're. Opinions are your, your opinion is always valued, and it's great to have you. And you have been listening to the Oscar Watch podcast. Thank you so much. I know some folks were expecting the last picture show this week. We've pushed that back to next week. Uh, it's uh, this is the second to last picture show, folks. This is <laughs> and uh, so yeah, so we're so keep listening in all the time if you like what you've heard you agree or disagree with any or all of us please write in to oscarwatchpodcast at gmail.com and be sure to find us on social media last picture shows next week brian where can folks find you if they want to if they even can oh well yeah actually uh, i'm i'm I'm, i think i'm about to be reviving a uh, a blog that i used to write about uh film music Uh, oh uh, so uh Go to cinematicmusic.blogspot.com. You'll find a bunch of really old stuff there. Uh, But uh, I think in the very near future, you're going to see some new content there. So, uh, yes, it's a Blogspot blog. It's very, you know, early 2000s, but hey, whatever. Um, Oh, that's wonderful. Cinematicmusic.blogspot.com. The blog is called Music From and Inspired By. Oh, you heard it. Folks, go there. Check it out. Please do. Help Brian. Support Brian. He's the best. One day he will have my job. And until (laughs) next time, we'll see you on the red carpet. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. This love was stronger than the power so dark A prince could have within his keeping His spells to weave and steal a heart Within her breast but only sleeping my love is like a storybook story But it's as real as the feelings I feel My love is like a storybook story
as real as the feelings I feel.